Just like a tree that grows by the water Let the strong winds blow, I will not move Just like a child secure in the love of a father
head that once was crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. The Savior knelt to wash our feet. Now at his feet we The one who wore our sin and shame Now robed in majesty The radiance of perfect love Now shines for all to see Your name His final breath upon the cross is now alive in me. Your name, your name is victory. Your praise will rise to Christ our King. Your
was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the
Father, we want to thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for your grace, so undeserved. We've come today to worship you, to open our hearts to you, to express our love for you and for each other. And we pray that your grace will rest powerfully upon us. Be glorified as you transform us. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship today.
first um, year of the prayer room, coming in here and um, had a lot of things on my heart, but the biggest thing at that time was my dad's cancer. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I remember praying, uh, you know, at the, the kneeling bench and, and just, um, you know, praying for his healing and, and um, you know, expecting God to heal my dad. And um, in November of that year, um, uh, the Lord took my dad home. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking, you know, why God didn't heal my dad? But then I realized that, you know, he did heal my dad. And he had uh, real healing, and now he's with his Lord. Mm-hmm. Jill and I both um, teach Sunday school, and uh, we teach second grade Sunday school. And one of the things we love to do is um, take the kids into the prayer room. A lot of times we'll look at the different things that are on the walls, the, the paintings or uh, statues or whatever, different modes of praying. We talk about different ways that people can pray, and um, uh, then we usually meet in one of the rooms, and um, you know, Jill will say, well, what kinds of um, you know, things do you like to pray about? They, they're curious. Each room is uh, special to them. It's a place that they haven't known about church life, you know, and they just get excited to walk in. We have such a desire to share prayer with children and hear their prayer. And for me, as a person, prayer has been very, very important in my life. Um, I've had struggles, and I can always go to Christ and know that I can lay my burdens down there. today. Uh, first time is at 5 o'clock uh, this afternoon. And we hope, if you haven't yet signed up, that you will do that. Um, these are trying to share with you just some little vignettes of people who have had experiences uh, as a part of the prayer vigil. And um, if you have had that experience before, you know something of what they're talking about. If you haven't, this is a great time to get involved and to do it. Um, an hour seems like a long time, but I, I guarantee you, we have a lot of things in those rooms that will enable you, if you want, to uh, be directed and to help you through that hour. Uh, there's a guide that will sort of walk you through an hour of prayer. There are guides that walk you through certain elements of the prayer time, prayer, uh, the places there, where you just go and do whatever you want to do. Uh, as you can see from some of the pictures, one of the things we're doing this year is some kaleidoscopic images. And the reason for that is that as we're going through the Minor Prophets, we are finding that, that God is just this uh, kaleidoscope of, of His nature and His being that we're continually uncovering and seeing from all kinds of different angles. And so we're trying to help us uh, envision that and experience that. So we hope you'll sign up. You can sign up this morning in the back table after the service or any time. The calendar this year is very mobile-friendly, tablet-friendly, so you can use that to sign up. And uh, we're just looking for a great time together. At 4.30 today, we invite you to come to, uh, to here at the sanctuary. We'll have just a half hour or so of singing and, and uh, coming together to prepare us to, uh, to kick off the vigil. So we hope to see you today at 4.30, as well as participating in the prayer event. Good morning. 
Our uh, ministry moment this morning focuses on the youth prayer breakfast. And uh, the youth prayer breakfast... Uh, has a long and rich history here at Houghton Wesleyan Church, and it happens on Tuesday mornings, and this is what happens. We, the students gather, 20, 25 students, sometimes gusting into the 30s, uh, will gather, and uh, we come in, and we sit down, and we have pancakes and sausage and uh, orange juice and hot chocolate and even some coffee, for those of you who need that. And, uh, and then... We, uh, once we feel like everybody's gathered, we, uh, we sing a couple of hymns, and then we pray. And we take prayer requests from the group sometimes. Sometimes we use the church bulletin and pray for the, you know, the requests that our, our community is lifting up. And it's a, uh, it's a really great time that we enjoy being together. Uh, our favorite hymn, our prayer breakfast hymn, is uh, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. We sing two hymns every, every week, like I said. And if you use the hymnals... In the community room there, there's an old set there. They have, uh, they have a lot of syrup on them. They're kind of sticky. And if you kind of open them, they will often automatically open to hymn number 338, which is, you'll see that hashtag in some of our social media. Because that's our favorite hymn, Wonderful Grace of Jesus. In your hymnal, the one in front of you, go ahead and pull it out. It's 106. We're going to sing one verse of that. Just so that you can experience the We'd love to have you come out sometime and join us for prayer and pancakes. And uh, if you're all going to come at once, please let me know. I'll have to get some more pancakes. But, uh, but we'd love to have you there. Thank you. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
reading today is from the book of Habakkuk selections. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever ever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The Lord replied, 
Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will mat march across the world and conquer other lands. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O oh Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. What good is an idol carved by man or cast image that deceives you? How foolish to trust in your own creation, a God that cannot even talk. What sorrow awaits you who say to wooden idols, Wake up and save us. To speechless stone images you say, rise up and teach us. Can an idol tell you what to do? They may be overlaid with gold and silver, but they are lifeless inside. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in the years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. You marched across the land in anger and trampled the nations in fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people, to save your anointed ones. You trampled the sea with your horses and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields, and the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me like a sure, as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. This is the word of the Lord. Children are dismissed to uh, Children's Church during the song. Please stand as we sing. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase to Oh
Sometimes one of the hardest things we can do is to practice what we preach. To live the way we talk. To be who we want to be. As followers of Jesus, we, we talk about what we believe... We talk about our feelings about God. We talk about how we are going to follow Jesus. And we wrestle to do that. I think when we come to the prophecy of Habakkuk, we find Habakkuk wrestling with practicing what he preaches. 
He has been telling the, the people of Israel, you need to believe that God is who he says he is. You need to trust God. You need to, to follow God with all of your heart. And to believe that, that God's promises are true. And to believe that, that God does what he says he does. And now he comes to this word. And quite frankly, he is wrestling to do that. The prophet Nahum, who we talked about last week, describes for us what it feels like when God is angry at people. Habakkuk describes for us what it feels like when people are angry at God. Habakkuk is frustrated with God. He is irritated with God. He questions God. He's wrestling with God. He lives in this world. In, in the, he says to God, Lord, how long until you do something about what's happening in the nation of Israel? In the nation of Judah? How long until you take action? The, the land is filled with violence and corruption. With idolatry. The land is filled with people who, who are doing the exact opposite of everything you want them to do. And you seem to not care a bit. And in the first two or three, four or five verses of, of this prophecy, he's saying, Lord, how long? When are you going to do something? Come on. You can't let this go. Everybody thinks you don't care. You have to do something about it. And finally, God answers him and he says, you know what, Habakkuk, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. I, I hate what's going on and I am going to do something about it. In fact, I'm going to do something so amazing, you're not going to believe it. It's one of those, I would never have believed it if I hadn't seen it kinds of things that I'm going to do. I was pondering that whole concept of trying to understand things that we've never seen before. I was thinking about my great-grandmother who was born in 1888 and she died in 1984. I was blessed. I was 24 years old when my great-grandmother died. I knew her very well. There were five generations of my family living at one time. And I was thinking about my great-grandmother who was born just in the infancy of gasoline automobiles. And she, in her lifetime, she went from that to jet airplanes to seeing a man walk on the moon. Can you imagine trying to explain to her computers and, and cell phones and emails and texting? I mean, I was just thinking about my own life. I was, 30, I was 37 years old before I ever sent or received my first email. I know somebody going, wow, you're really old, aren't you? <laughs> you know, it's hard. I mean, who would have guessed? And it was hard for me to comprehend as someone tried to explain what, was, what this was about. I couldn't understand it. There are things that come to us that we try to understand and we just can't believe it. And we say to ourselves, there is no way that could be true. There is no way that could happen. And that's what God is saying to Habakkuk. And what is it that God says he's going to do that Habakkuk can't believe? He says to him... You're right, Habakkuk. I got to do something about Israel. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get the Babylonians. And they're going to come be my means of punishing my people. And, and, and Habakkuk steps back and says, okay, wait a second. That's not what I meant. 
I can imagine his first words are, are you serious? Are you kidding me? You do realize, God, that these are some of the most ruthless, cruel, idolatrous people on earth right now, right? I mean, we've been talking about the Assyrians and how ruthless and cruel they were. The Babylonians are not much different. And you're going to use them as the means of punishing your people? And he even says, you're going to use these godless, idolatrous, unrighteous people to punish people who are far more righteous than they are? Really? And God says, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And at the end of this, Habakkuk, at the beginning of chapter 2, says to God, all right, fine. I'm going to go up to my watchtower. I'm going to go up to, to my guard post. And I'm going to stand and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to see what you do. I don't think this is the kind of thing. He steps up there and he says, okay, Lord, I can't wait to find out what you're going to do. I think this is more standing back with his arms crossed going, saying, okay, Lord, what are you going to do about all this? You know, we have people who come to us. Maybe they come to you in your job or uh, maybe something in your life. Or people come to us with suggestions in, in a, two different ways. One way is they come to us with suggestions and say, I saw this idea. I saw this done. I was a part of something. I think this might be something that you might want to think about. I said, you know, I'll leave it to you. But I just thought I'd make a suggestion. And then there are people who come to us and say, I saw this thing done, I was a part of this, I witnessed this, and you really need to do this. And then they stand back and say, now, tell me how you're going to do this. And the first one is sort of suggestion, the second one's more of a demand. And I think this is more of a demand. I think Habakkuk is standing back and saying, okay, Lord... You do what you think you're going to do, but just know I'm watching you. I'm judging you. I want to know what kind of God are you? Are you really going to do this? And the bottom line for Habakkuk is in this, in an upside down world, he's asking, can God be trusted? Is God who who he says he is? When you come into chapter 2, God says, well, here's my answer. Habakkuk, the day is coming when you will see what you want to see. The day is coming when, when my power will be revealed. The day is coming when I will make everything right. The day is coming when I will take care of all of the injustice and all the idolatry and all the ways that people are living that they know they shouldn't. I'll take care of that. The day is coming. But Habakkuk, you need to understand, it's not yet. And he says to him, can you trust me? And God says the same thing to us. You know, one of the difficulties of living in this world is that we live between the now and the not yet. We have all the promises of Scripture of what God's going to do. All the ways in which God says, I've got this. It's, I'm, it's under control. It's in my hands. I'm taking care of it. But not yet. And it's hard to live in the not yet. Because we want it to happen now. What we want is for God to put everything in a box. We want God to take care of everything. And we want it to happen now. But for some reason, God keeps saying to us, not yet. 
And the call to Habakkuk and the call to us is the same. In the not yet, can you wait for me? Will you wait for me? Will you trust me? When you're in the not yet, our natural inclination, when we see things happening in this upside down world, and it appears as if God is not doing what God should be doing, we tend to have a couple of things that we do. One of them is we say, well, if God's not going to do it, we will. And so we run ahead of God. And we're trying to fix everything. We do that because we don't like things to be messy. We don't like things to be complicated. We don't like things to be a struggle. We want everything fixed. Because something in our mind says we will eventually live the way God wants us to live if we remove all the obstacles. And so we do our best to remove all the obstacles. Now, it's one thing to work for justice. It's one thing to, to work for a better world. It's one thing to work for a world in which, in which people's lives are made better and, and, and things are better for them. It's a whole other thing to say, I'm going to remove all the obstacles so that there is no pressure anymore. There is no difficulty anymore. There's no struggle anymore. That's the life that we want. And God keeps telling us that life is coming, but not yet. And in the middle of that, and as people, we're, one of our fears is that God, people are going to misunderstand who God is. I think that's part of a back struggle. He's saying, Lord, if you keep letting this stuff go, people are going to misunderstand who you are. They're going to think that you don't care about injustice. You don't care about violence. You don't care about idolatry. They're going to think that all this stuff doesn't matter to you. And I know it does. And you're giving people the wrong impression. And in those moments, what do we want to do? We want to defend God. I see all the time. It's a natural inclination. I wrestle with it. I want to defend God. I want to defend God's reputation. I want to tell people, I know you have this image of God, but that's, that's not who he is. And let me try to fix that for you. Now, there is a place of saying, you have a skewed view of God, and let me help you find a new view of God. It's something else entirely to defend God. To run ahead of God. To act as if we have to fix things for God. And what happens when we live like that? Number one, it's a lot of pressure to try to fix the world. It's a lot of stress to try to clean up everything. And quite frankly, there's not a one of us that can do it. Look at the life of Jesus. Jesus gets to the end of the cross. And the last words from the cross, it is finished. It's finished. And we want to interpret that as everything is now perfect. But all you have to do is look around and you know it's not. The calling on us is not to fix everything. The calling on us is to trust God when everything isn't fixed. When the world is still in chaos. When the world still feels upside down. And the question that's confronting us over and over and over again is in an upside down world... Not only can God be trusted, but will we trust him? I was thinking about the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13. About the man who goes out and he sows, he sows wheat in his field. And, um, and then uh, an enemy comes and, and he 
He puts weeds in the field. And as the stuff begins to grow, you real, they realize that there's wheat growing and there's weeds growing. And it, the master's servants say, look, there's weeds growing in the field. You had this perfect field. It was, all, it was all perfect. And now there's weeds in it. You want us to go tear up the weeds? And he says, boy, an enemy did this. But he says to them, no, don't tear up the weeds. Because if you tear up the weeds, you may tear up the wheat too. And what Jesus is saying is that the answer to growing good wheat is not to get rid of the weeds. It's to just keep nurturing the wheat. Because the reality is we live in a world where there's going to be weeds. God has never promised us that we would live in a world without weeds until that day. But until that day, we live in the not yet. And we work And our goal is not to eliminate the weeds. Our goal is to create healthy wheat that attracts people and nourishes people and helps people. And God is saying to us, as he says to Habakkuk, in the midst of an upside-down world where there are weeds and storms and struggles and messiness, will you trust me? When your life feels out of kilter, when your life feels stressed and pressured, when you're asking questions of God, will you still trust me? I get the feeling sometimes that God is saying to us, you think, you think that I can operate only when there are no obstacles. But what he's really saying to us is, can you trust me That I can fully operate in the midst of the obstacles. Do you believe that I'm bigger than the obstacles? Do you believe that I'm bigger than the weeds? Do you believe that I'm greater than the struggles and and the disappointments and all the battles of this world? Do you believe that I'm bigger than that and stronger than that and greater than that? Do you trust me? I think the turning point in this prophecy is is the end of chapter 2. It's probably the most famous verse that comes out of Habakkuk's prophecy. After he has has expressed his complaints to God, his questions to God, and God has responded to him, God says to him, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. We have a hard time with silence. In fact, this morning we did a little experiment with you. I don't know if you noticed it or not. Did you feel a little uncomfortable? Just a, just a few seconds of pause. Nothing happening. You could feel it. Almost everybody's going, what's going on? Somebody forget something? Did Paul forget this is time to read scripture? Did the youth group forget? What's happening here? All it takes is five seconds and we're starting to feel uncomfortable with silence. The problem is we get so used to noise that we feel uncomfortable without it. What we need is more silence. Now silence isn't just nothingness. 
In many ways, silence is prayer. Silence is, is coming before God. It is focusing our attention on God. It is removing ourselves from the distractions that are always around us and spending time with God. It is one of the reasons why we keep doing these prayer vigils. Because all of us live our lives with so much noise. And I don't just mean noise that we hear, but the, we have mental noise. We have busyness noise. In fact, we, we have, noise is so much a part of our lives, we start naming it colors, right? I mean, the first time I heard white noise, I thought, what is that? What is white, what does that even mean? I don't even know what white noise means. And then I realized, oh, I do a lot of white noise stuff. It is so, it is such a part of our lives that we have to think of ways to nuance it. But we practice these prayer vigils as a time to step out of the noise. And there is something about getting away. It's one of the reasons why we we want everybody to come to the prayer room. Could we pray anywhere? Of course we could. But there is something about coming to that room and being in that room and shutting the door, whether it's you or your family or your dorm or whatever, but coming to that space and just thinking about God an hour. And the reason we don't make it 15 minutes or 30 minutes, we make it an hour as a minimum, is because it takes time for us to sort of let go of the noise, to feel comfortable away from all the distractions. It takes some time. And most of our experiences have been the 30 to 60 minutes goes way too fast because we're just starting to get into it. We're just starting to embrace it. We're just starting to to become a part of it. And again, it doesn't mean that you go to the prayer room and you just sit there in silence. Sometimes when I go, I spend the whole time just singing. Because I love to do that. I love to express my heart to God. And God speaks to me through the songs. But it's something that I rarely have time or take time to do. And it gives me an opportunity to do that. And sometimes I go and I just walk through and I think about the ways in which the, the, the things that have been prepared speak to my heart. And sometimes I write on the board and sometimes I do sit in silence for a while. But it is the coming away that's so important. It is doing something to remove us from all of the, the normal distractions of life, all of the noise of life, Because it's in the silence that God speaks to us. It's in the coming apart where we can actually hear God and experience God. It is interesting to me that right before Habakkuk says, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. He talks about idols in verses 18 and 19. And when you think about idols, idols demand noise. If you, if you read about, when you read some of the stories in the Old Testament, and if you read other, other peoples uh, in the ancient Near, Near East who, who worship their idols, it's all about noise because you're trying to get the God's attention. You're standing in front of a, a block of wood and a piece of stone or metal and who just stare back at you. And so you spend your time trying to get their attention, trying to make them hear you, trying to get them to see you. And, you, and the people go through all kinds of gymnastics and do all kinds of things and create all kinds of noise to get the gods to hear them. 
And Habakkuk says, with Yahweh, it's the exact opposite. He's trying to get us to be quiet. Not so he will hear us so that we can hear him. Because he's the only God who actually speaks to us. As a word to us. It's in the silence that we come to understand that God loves us without us doing anything. See, we think our noise is going to impress God. There's something in the back of our minds that says, if we accomplish enough things, if we do enough things, if if we do enough activity, then God will pay attention to us, and God will love us, and we'll be important and valuable to God. But the reality is we're important and valuable to God, and he pays attention to us just because of who we are and because of who he is. We need silence in the midst of our noise. Our problem isn't noise. Ever heard of anybody sponsoring a noise retreat? I've not. I've never heard of that. We don't need a noise retreat. We've got that down. We're perfect at noise. It's silence. It's contemplation. It's prayer. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't know what I'd do for an hour in prayer. I don't know if I want to engage in this. Let me encourage you to try it. We sometimes are hesitant because we're afraid of what God's going to say to us. He may convict us. He may put his finger on something in our lives that needs to change. He may say to, you, to us, look, you need to fix that relationship. You need to confess that sin. You need to do this. You need to do that. And we don't really want to do it. But all we're saying is, God, I don't want the fullness of your blessing on my life. Because these things, he's trying to get rid of the barriers between us and him. And it's in the silence that we come to understand who God is. In the silence, we begin to believe what Habakkuk does, that in this upside down world, God can be trusted. And this, these words, this, this silence is a turning point for Habakkuk because chapter 3 is He's talking again, but it's all praise and glory to God. It's, just, it's, it's saying, God, I acknowledge that you are in control, that you are good, that you are merciful, that you care about our world, that you're at work, and I'm going to trust you. And then you come to the end of the, the whole prophecy, and you have some of the most profound words, perhaps, in the entire Old Testament. When he gets to the end of this, Habakkuk says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle's barns are empty, I will trust you. Even if you don't give me what I want, I'll trust you. Even if you don't do what I think you should do, I'll trust you. 
But it's not a kind of begrudging trust. It's not a God's got me on the ropes and there's nothing else I can do kind of trust. What he really says is, even though nothing happens the way I'd like for it to, I will rejoice. I will celebrate who you are. And what he's really declaring is that in this upside down world, we find joy in trusting God. No matter what. In this upside down world, we find joy in trusting God no matter what. Because we have come to see who God is. And that joy brings us freedom like a deer hopping around on the heights of a mountain. When I was in Sophomore in college, my, my summer, after my sophomore year of college, I, I spent that summer working in, in Taiwan. Uh, it was an awesome experience. Uh, I loved it, spending two or three months there. And uh, I went with a group. There were six of us that went. And uh, there were three of us from the, from the Oregon area. And so we, we got on a plane in Portland and we flew to San Francisco to meet up with the rest of the team. And I hadn't really been on that many plane fights, one or two up to that point. And as we were flying into San Francisco, the pilot said, you know, we're circling, we're coming into land. And so seatbelts are on, you know how you go through all that, that routine of putting things away. And I'm looking out the window and um, all I see below us is water. And, you know, we're about, I don't know, a few thousand feet in the air. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, we're flying over the ocean or the bay. I don't know which it was. And I don't know if it's still like this in San Francisco, but... We're flying and we're getting lower and lower and all I'm seeing is water. And we're getting closer and closer and all I'm seeing is water. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking out the window and my, I can feel my heart beginning to race and the sweat beginning to break out on me. And I'm thinking, I'm not seeing any land down there. I'm just seeing water. And the plane's getting lower and lower. We're like, you know, 2,000 feet, just water. 1,000 feet, nothing but water. 500 feet, nothing but water. And I can feel my, I mean, I, you know, I can feel the grip just getting more and more panicked. And we're getting lower and lower and lower and nothing but water. And I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding you. It was not, I, it was not until the wheels hit the ground that I saw ground. <laughs> I am certain we were that close to the water when that first wheel hit. I, and, you know, and I mean, I, I, it took a long time for my heart to stop pounding when we hit that, when we got to the end of that. When we came back from Taiwan, we again flew into San Francisco. And when we were getting closer, I could feel the tension raising again as we are getting close to that. But what I found interesting was that I wasn't quite as anxious the second time as I was the first time. And I suspect that if I kept landing at that airport, every time I'd become just a little bit less anxious. A little bit less nervous. There is something in that about trusting God. The more we trust God, the more we trust God. The more we trust God, the more joy we find in trusting God. But it starts with being willing 
to come into his presence, to be silent, to ask the questions, to share our burdens, our concerns. He doesn't mind that at all. But the call of Habakkuk and the call of the gospel is that in this upside-down world, we find joy in trusting God, no matter what. We're going to spend just a few moments this morning during the prayer time, just in silence. And during that time, you can just sit and ponder what we've talked about. You might want to look at the concerns on the back of the bulletin and pray about those. Let me add to that list. Some of you know uh, Bob and Carol Brown. Bob had a stroke yesterday. Uh, The report is positive, but I know that they would appreciate our prayers. There are other needs that you bring with you in your life, in our world. We're just going to take the next couple of minutes of silence and listen to God, speak to God, encounter God. Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for who you are. Give us grace to trust you that we might find the joy that you desire for all of us. Through the grace of Christ. Amen.
please stand as we sing together. wondrous grace to me he has made known or why unworthy Christ in love redeemed me for his own I don't know how the saving came to me he did impart or how believing in his word brought peace within my benediction. 
May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.